0: ברוכים הבאים לדיטוקס, פודקאסט על עיצוב, חדשנות ומה שביניהם מטעם בצלן. מה עניינים דן? מה קורה עודד?
1: איזה כיף שאת טיפ רואה. ואיפה גיא? גיא לא יכול להגיע היום, mm-hmm. אז אנחנו עושים רעיון משותף yes. שיהיה באנגלית. דנה, את התערכת, התערכת אצלנו בפרק שלוש
0: של הפודקאסט, ייצוב okay. וחינוך. כל הנושא של היש ייצוב, חשיבה עיצובית, בעולם החינוך. והיום, מהלך הפרק הזה הזכרת את דיוויד קליפורד.
1: ואיזה כיף שהוא פה בישראל. מדהים. יש לנו את הזכות להביא את הכל שלו פה בפודקאסט. אז מה קצת נדבר איתו?
0: נדבר איתו על עבודה שהוא שם, על equity והפרויקט שהוא עושה שם בבתי הספר, על העבודה שהוא עושה איתנו כאן בבת ספר בן גדי, על האופטימיות שלו וגם... ואיך שהוא הולך לשנות את העולם הזה יחד עם כולנו.
1: מדהים, אז שוב תודה
0: ואנחנו
1: עכשיו לאנגלית. Okay. פעם ראשונה בפודקאסט הזה, פודקאסט אמריקה
0: one, two, three. every every now and then
1: the art is I hear yours.
0: fellas bragging on new women
1: and it makes me whoo, how it makes me want to brag a
2: little bit on my I
1: don't know where to start bragging on my woman because she's got so many good qualities Um, We have the honor today to interview uh, David Clifford from Oakland, California, a proud resident of uh, uh, Oakland, California. Uh, David was the senior learning experience designer at Stanford D School's K-12 lab, Uh, today he's a fellow. Uh, He's founded and been involved in many initiatives uh, related to social justice oriented education, we're going to talk about that a lot. Uh, and his most recent initiative is Design School X, uh, a new high school model aiming to inspire humanity based on the values of equity and creativity. Mm-hmm. David, it's so much fun to have you here on a Friday morning in uh, Hanson House in Jerusalem. Um, Dana, thank you very much for joining us.
0: I love being here with both of you.
1: Cool. It's so beautiful here. So we're going to start... Oh, we got a little Hebrew from David. (laughs) Uh, So, um, David, uh, thank you very much for coming. Please give us like a very short, uh, brief introduction about you. Um, What are you doing in Israel? Yes. Um, And what are you doing in Oakland,
2: the U.S.? Well, I'm 47 years old, 47 years young. I consider myself uh, an edu-agitator. So I design opportunities to agitate uh, oppressive systems like education. Um, I am here to work with um En-Gedi High School and a few schools in that region to use the design process, particularly design thinking, to build a bridge between adults and students because there is currently a disconnect uh, between the two. Students don't trust adults and the adults don't trust the students Uh, to to learn. Uh, This is what I do in the States as well. I'm a trained industrial designer, uh, jeweler, metalsmith, and I take those principles and uh, apply them to education there to liberate students. And to do that, I have to liberate the minds of the adults that are in the way of student
1: possibility. Super cool. And we're going to talk all about, I think, the processes of, of how you uh, do all those stuff in, in different school uh, systems in, uh, in the US, cool. uh, a little bit about new concepts uh, of, of, uh, of the design process. Yeah. Um, maybe we can start a little bit about your experience at the D School. Not all of our listeners know the D School, yeah. uh, which is very famous, uh, obviously, um, in the design world in general. Uh, so we'd be happy to hear about a little bit about the D-School, about the K-12 lab, and about some of the processes and projects that you've been uh, working for, on.
2: So I'll do my best to describe the D-School mm-hmm. at Stanford. It's uh, it's called, the full name is the Hasso platner Institute of Design. Hasso Platner is some billionaire German who <laughs> really <laughs> liked what uh, David Kelly and his brother were doing with this... Company called IDEO uh, using human-centered design to solve sticky problems, as they call it. So he gave Stanford millions of dollars to start this program, and there's no degree there, but it's a way to get uh, the business school, the medical school, education, all to come together to develop the creative mindsets that all humans have to um, to think collaboratively and cross-disciplinarily dis- um, uh, to, again, think of things in a different way and, and solve some of the world's problems. The K-12 lab, and this was 10 years ago. Uh, I think they're celebrating their 11th, 10th or 11th anniversary now. The K-12 lab is a little wing of the d-school, and the job there is to use the design thinking process to engage teachers in particular to see themselves as designers so they can design learning experiences that are exciting for kids and not just using the design process now you empathize, now you define, now you do this uh, in, in curriculum but really embody what it means to be a designer which is to assume the beginner's mindset and to always ask what if and have the courage, the creative courage, to explore that curiosity. And sadly, in education, students are not trained to be curious. They're trained to be answer finders. Those students grow up to be teachers, or those students grow up to be designers, or they grow up to be lawyers, or they grow up to be politicians. And the same cycle continues, and there's no curiosity and wonderment. And so our job is to infuse the design thinking mindsets
1: uh, into the adult practice. So you work with like various
2: schools uh, within the
1: lab, or like how, or you bring the school to the lab. Both.
2: Both. We have free workshops for educators across the globe, and then we also go into schools locally. So it could be Oakland could be Palo Alto, uh, could be somewhere on the East Coast. And one of the projects with the K-12 lab is here in, in Getty. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're actually saying that design thinking, uh, design mindset, is a way to create curiosity in teachers. Mm-hmm. Like a, a teacher who is a designer becomes more curious about his Like his profession, his students?
2: More curious about how to bring out the light and the purpose in each human. Sadly, because of capitalism, Hmm. right? Uh, Our school system was designed for two reasons. Industry and assimilation. Right. How do you train immigrants that are coming in to behave like in the United States, like white people? Right. You enslave them in schools and you start to acculturate them to the white ways. That's one. The other is you turn them into rule followers. So then when they go into factories or beyond, they're not going to question their master or their boss. The same thing happens in the 21st century, where you have teachers still practicing the same thing. They're being told by the municipality here or by the Department of Education in the United States that this is what you're supposed to do. And they take it and they deliver it. Or they might buy something over here and deliver it. Every human is different. Therefore, you need different ways to bring out the light in every kid. If we don't, as adults, explore ways to bring out the light in kids, that light will dull and society becomes complacent, apathetic, violent, and the cycle continues.
1: How's in the, like, the US, the capital of capitalism, mm-hmm. uh, these uh, concepts are being embraced? Hmm. Um, like I guess it's very challenging to get these kind of ideas into the school system, which, as I say, traditionally are very, very focused on, on a specific ways of, of learning, mm. of educating. I'd be happy to hear about like the challenging of actually doing mm. this uh, kind of stuff with schools.
2: So mm. something you need to know about me is that I have a very different kind of heart, mm. and it comes from my parents and the pain that they had growing up living in a very segregated time uh, both racially and gender and so when they raised me they raised me to think and feel differently so when I went to art school design school in San Francisco I wanted to study uh, product design but it didn't feel right because it felt very capitalistic you're making things beautiful in order to sell a bunch of units to make a lot of money and that didn't sit right. So I became a jeweler, which is very its similar, right? You're designing products, but it's to help people feel beautiful on the inside and on the outside. When I came to the d-school, I noticed something that design thinking was being used as the capitalist darling, <laughs> right? That they're using this really delightful process that is meant to liberate your head and your heart and your hands, only to make more money at the expense of people's humanity. And so I, um, I hacked the design thinking process. I used the design thinking process to hack the design thinking process to make it more, um, uh, uh, I think you call it humanistic? More uh, human. And it uh, forces you, before you design, to think about who you are and who you are not and what you are bringing to every design scenario. So think as a man. It's important. I'm looking at you, right? Um, It's important uh, to think about what it means to be a man as a designer in relationship with women. That we men may not think about what it means to be a man because the whole world is designed for us. And that can be a blind spot that can make its way into a product. If I'm building a school, I need to be aware of what it means to be a man, what it means to be white, what it means to be wealthy, because if I then run the risk of baking in my identity into that product, and again, the cycle continues. I bring all of that up because people like the idea of equity or social justice in the United States. And in, so, in some
1: places, I guess. Some, yes, yes yeah. right. So I can speak to the
2: Bay Area, right? <laughs> right? They like the idea of it. They do not like the mirror that it holds up because it then forces us to actually think about who we are And what bad habits we have that are perpetuating sexism, racism, uh, 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 Islamophobia, all of that. So some people love it and some people find it um, very threatening. And my job is to, particularly for our white people, is to design ways to invite their curiosity into doing equity-centered work.
0: What I really love about this is when we learn and practice design thinking and we do empathy work, we feel we are so like human centered, we feel we are so good, like doing great things. And this uh, like step that David puts in before empathy work, like look at yourself and kind of know yourself. Because otherwise, your empathy work will be biased, will will be seeing only what you, as whatever privileged designer you are, can possibly see. And it, it is so important to have this like, first look inside before you go out to the field and, and do empathy work.
1: I think it raises the conscious to all other levels that most uh, people in general, not just the designers, are not... Uh, pretty much, you know, using or, you know, or uh, being aware of in their day to day lives. Um, I'd be happy to you mentioned the word equity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, how do you translate it into Hebrew equity design?
0: Yeah, we have we have troubles with because <laughs> equity. It's, it kind of comes from e- equality or equation or it's, it's from that root. Yeah, but it, it talks about justice in in the deeper sense, I'm, I'm I'm working hard translating all all of our language to Hebrew. Mm. And I used Sadicrevrati. Because okay. it's the the one word we know and and we can use, but yeah, it's very
1: common, like with mitan. Um, yeah, a word like you it, know, it speaks name.
0: to our, to our hearts. Yeah. but if, if any of our listeners have a better option,
1: all right, so we're gonna open it for a survey mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and the comments on the Facebook post uh, <laughs> for a better word for equity design in Hebrew. Even though I think Tali about is really like to the point. Um, so we'd be happy to you know, learn a little bit more about this concept of, mm-hmm. of equity design, mm-hmm. uh, how it was like, you know, revealed mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and,
0: and the equity project, mm. or yes. national equity project. Yes.
2: So um, as I mentioned, the hacking of the design thinking process to add two new portions of it, the notice, and that's noticing your identity, your values, your emotions, noticing your relationship to power, and noticing what your intentions are when you are designing. The other piece is reflect. Constantly reflecting on how the people that you are working with are impacting you, and how they, uh, you are impacting them, right? And wondering always how you can be better as a person in relationship to that. Um, we, so interesting how this happens that Uh, One person over here could be experimenting, and then as soon as that plant rises, it notices that there's somebody else over there doing it, and it becomes this amazing emergent process across, and we noticed it in the United States. One of the organizations that was also exploring this was the National Equity Project. They were focused, their focus is deep on equity. The design school, the D school is design, They wanted to develop in all of their leaders um, the design mindsets and practice and agency of design. And so they looked to us to pull in that literacy of design and we looked to them to help us go deeper on equity. What I have learned is that equity doesn't exist anywhere. And so for that reason, it has to remain as a, uh, a radical goal uh, that we are constantly seeking. Because equity means, <sighs> equity is the state where every human is allowed to be their sincere self and find their true purpose regardless of all of the different systems and expectations. Expectations isn't the right word. Different measures that are constantly telling us what to be. Currently, there's religion, there's our school system, there's testing, there's military. All of those things are telling us what to be. Who's better than whoever else? I know this is something that is very deep in Israel just like it's very deep in the United States. And I'll t- touch on that in a little bit. Yeah. Particularly in Oakland, the school that I wanted to build was meant to bring rich and poor together, black and white together, because the United States is deeply, deeply segregated. Um, and so how do you do that? You have to design for
1: then inclusion and belonging. Um, Can you get us into like it, a, a workshop of what it's like? To, um, uh, to do this kind of work. Um, equity sorry. work. Yeah. yeah, the equity work. Yeah. But if you want to complete your sentence before, sorry. No, that's sorry. fine.
2: It's... um, It is quite difficult. Because they're... In order to invite people to have the courage to look in the mirror and to... See themselves as creative and have the courage to be creative. People like the three of us talking right now, I believe we didn't have a choice. We have to be creative and we've done everything that we could in order to develop those skills and to find meaning and belonging in this world. But we're 1%, 99% of the world does not think that they're creative. And they're very afraid because our system says, Don't be creative or that's not creative, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so how do you invite people to be courageous, to be creative, also that mirror? How do you invite people to accept that they have developed unhealthy habits on how to look at other people? How to look at themselves? There are, in the United States, there are women who have internalized misogyny. They have developed the practice of hating themselves because of our system is constantly telling them to do so. There are black people in the United States that have internalized racism because our system has designed every opportunity to develop and internalize, this is good, this is bad. In order for me to be good, I need to start developing these behaviors. For white people... How do you help them notice their racist practices? How do you help men notice their misogynistic practices? Because we are the, a big part of the problem. We are the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you create an experience that invites the courage to trust, the courage to be vulnerable to learn? And something I learned from working with the National Equity Project is you spend a lot of time in conversation. You spend a lot of time, before getting to work, allowing every person in the room to be able to share where they come from, what they feel, what they feel, what it feels like to be in that space with all these people. What does equity or inclusion or diversity mean to them? Invite all of these ways to allow people to reflect on who they are, the magical parts of people, of themselves, and also accept the warts, the zits, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's okay. That we're all working together towards equity. And working towards equity means that we need to recognize that we have similarities and a lot of differences. Um, So, an experience starts with that, inviting. So we just did a project um, with trying to bring students and teachers together at Ngetty High School. The first activity we did with them was this really great Mad Lib, called the Three Minute Know Me. And it came as, it was a prototype that I developed with some teachers at D Tech High School in Millbrae. And it came from the high school that I'm working on, uh, Design School X, DSX. And it is a really cool tool. It's, it's getting you to think about your name, your family, where you are in your family, what strengths you have, what's hurting your heart, um, what you love about school, what you hate about school. And it's a really quick way to break the ice. And I get to listen to you and your magic and you get to listen to me. Um, and it's when people start to see each other as human that they then have, and you notice this, Donna, that when we recognize each other as humans, we want to care for each other as humans. Yeah. But if we're looking at each other as demons, or worse, we will want to fight each other. And the only way that we are going to solve the world's problems. It's not through gadgets, more problem. No, it's not. Not apps, not objects, but it's going to be redesigning how we can be human together. Period. And to do that, you have to redesign school because schools are not designed to be human together.
0: Right. I, before we like go deeper in, in schools, I, yeah. I want to say something about this tool and, and this tool. I think what's amazing about liberatory design and, and the design equity work is that a lot of the time there are like philosophers, politicians, many like social workers, people can talk about equity and justice. And the when when a, a maker comes in the room, mm-hmm. a designer, a builder comes mm-hmm. in the room, he builds something to make it happen. He builds a prototype mm-hmm. to try stuff. You know, like, it, it, I don't know, the Apollo, the Delphi, you know, they have like the Greek ancient saying, know thyself, whatever. Okay, and then comes, a, I don't know, a maker, and he's like, how can I know myself? Let's make this prototype. Let's try this, I mean, do I know myself better? Huh, a bit, maybe I'll change it. And prototyping those huge, huge ideas, for me, it's, it is just the, the, the highest place a designer can put himself. Cause like if you can design packages and you can design a utopia, ideal equity. So, I mean, yeah, people should choose, you know, (laughs) but the fact that this option exists, it is very moving for me. I mean, I, I just love it.
2: I agree. One of the mindsets of liberatory design is biased towards experimentation. You have an idea, you. Um, you can't just keep talking about it because it does nothing. But what do you want to learn? You quickly try something simple. It doesn't need to be big. And I I bring this out because I wanted to experiment. So I'm holding up here a little journal that I've had for maybe 10 years. And I wanted to, on one side, notice all of the racist things that I was noticing in my commute from home to work. I flip it over And what are all the racist things that I was thinking and feeling? This is a quick way to develop my self-awareness as a person, as a a white man. The shocker was that in one day, there were 10 times more racist thoughts and feelings that I had. And I think of myself as a pretty evolved white person. (laughs) And it was fucked up. It was really terrifying, and that's that's the beauty of, of having the design mindset and the maker mindset of just getting right to it, so you can learn and evolve.
1: My thoughts on a lot of this is first, and we we're gonna we're gonna end oh. by ta- discussing uh, pessimism versus optimism. Oh, yes. We're not finishing yet; we have more time. Okay, uh, uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying that, like, first of all, it demands a lot of patience. Okay and the society of today doesn't necessarily reward you in a capitalistic environment and all that like there is no ROI Hmm. um, on all your uh, efforts so it demands to slow the pace Hmm. okay it demands a lot of efforts that the society doesn't necessarily like reward you uh, in this uh, fast-paced you know world that we're living in and it's very easy to just you know let it go and say yeah it's like we don't have any chance to do it this is is too big this is too big um and you know when you see today also like in the world when they you feel in the media that the world is just you know going down okay you know all these you know talks about equity and stuff i'm like saying yeah i wish this would happen but you know like there is a, like a word in uh, a, a saying in uh, in hebrew okay and how do you face this like you know this uh, uh sarcasm and you know all this you know i think uh, uh stuff that people might say about about this process and about about the stuff that you're trying to do
0: i have to say like i don't know there are, like three things that come to my mind but i i, I want to hear david so well i'll be short how would you yeah no don't be short it takes time we are used to having those things take a lot of time what i saw in the workshops uh, uh, we did uh, with with david is the one of the amazing things is that he takes he, he builds tools to do those things quite shortly i mean when we had like Kids, they don't have patience, okay? And we brought kids and teachers who are also not very patient. And they did like, okay, three minutes this, three minutes that. It was very short and very powerful. But you build a tool to make it effective we are used to having, you know, like long, never ending conversation about justice. So we stay away. We're like, mm-hmm. you know, it's heavy, man, I don't want to go there. <laughs> but this is one of the brilliant things about this work that it, 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 it like David is empathic about your like, not patient. Mm-hmm. And he's building for you a tool so you can with your very short uh, concentration get like engaged. The second thing is the opposite. When you give time and space to these things, you see miracles happen. Mm. And once you see them, you want to, you want more of that. Mm. And, and the places who really suffer from violence, from bad, you know, like stuff, they look for a cure. They have this need Mm. and they search for a solution and If you're like, if you're living your life and everything is fine, so yeah, I mean you can. But but when you like, school is is a place where everybody suffers Mm -hmm. from from violence, from oppression. So 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 these tools are really like something that builds. Yeah.
2: There was a third thing. That was only (laughs) two. What's the third thing? Do you remember? The third
0: is the need. I mean, a it's a good tool. B when you you can see a miracle happen. Three, you don't have any choice.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing. I feel like um, somebody who's sarcastic, um, I would say we don't have a choice. Hmm. Things are dire. Things in the United States are terrible. Every day, I have two daughters, 13 and 16. Every day there's something on the news about somebody killing children, killing gays, killing black people. There's war here, there's war there. That's not a world that we want to live in. Nobody does. We don't have a choice. And this is one way that we can try to do things differently. I think, and I I know I agree with everything Donna was saying, there is a process that Donna and I use uh, in the workshop, which is an equity pause. And an equity pause is during the notice and reflect part of liberatory design. The language comes from uh, these three women of color in the United States, Caroline Hill, Michelle Molitor, and Christine Ortiz. And it is a just a moment to stop and ask, are we perpetuating status quo? And if we are, where are we doing it? And how can we interrupt it? If we don't take an equity pause, It's gonna be business as usual and oppression in school, in the workplace, in the street, will continue. And we can't continue on this route. Lastly, I think I see myself because I am the beneficiary of oppression across the globe. As an American, all the products I try not to buy but that come to the United (laughs) States right, are the expense of millions of Chinese, right? My privilege as a white person is at the expense of hundreds of years of slavery, even current slavery, right, of black people in the world in the United States. My benefit as a man is at the expense of oppression of women in the United States. I feel it's my job to model to other people that this is not okay. Everybody should have all of what I have, not just a handful. And that to me takes courage and optimism and not cynicism or sarcasm.
1: So let's let's talk a little bit about the Design School X. Yeah. Uh, And maybe to start a little bit about Oakland Mm -hmm. um, and the environment there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then talk a little bit about the model that you're trying uh, to build. And, And I think it's really, really interesting Um, also in the context of what you were saying now with the prototyping and the tools uh, you're trying to build as a designers uh, to infuse those, you know, values and and those uh, concepts into uh, the general, you know, uh, public. Um, How do you scale this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. The scalability question is, I think, the worst question ever like but i think it's uh, it's the one yeah dude (laughs) i know it's like it's like this is the the downer of every like project how do you scale scale gets the double (laughs) finger from david clifford yeah Yeah.
0: it's like scaling human beings no yeah no but
1: you're trying to create you know revolution here so i think it's important to discuss you know how do you create something you know from a a model that is working in one area to to the U.S. and to the world.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, Donna, you said something earlier about creating opportunities for people to feel a certain way. And when they feel that way, in a positive, they want other people to feel it. And I think, so scaling is the word in Silicon (laughs) Valley, right? And I kept thinking, how, so what? how do you scale humanity? And I think one of the only ways to do that is through school, sadly. And I don't... I'm slowly not believing in schools anymore. Um, But they are a community and an opportunity to scale humans and human kindness. And if... And that means that we, we, we need to redesign graduates of our school system. The... My first school that I co-designed is called the East Bay School for Boys. That school was just for middle school boys. And the idea was how do you redesign future men Hmm. to be more thoughtful um, to women, to their neighbors, right? How do you create men that are engaged in the world and not passive or aggressive um, and courageous? to be vulnerable and creative. And uh, the hope was to to build a school as a feminist act. And I'd love to say that the school is going beautifully, and it's not, right? It's A, because we as founders didn't think about the things that we were designing into the process, one. And two, because our world um, and our school system has a running start We're trying to start a school uh, as a feminist act, redesigning men. But everything in our world is saying, don't do that. That that's going to fail. That's going to fail. How dare you act like that, right? Um, So we're still, it's in its 10th year. We're still working on it. But because we have a mission of redesigning men, people want that mission and they want to make sure that it's going to happen, right? And that means inviting that chaos and designing through it with Design School X, the goal was to redesign graduates for very different worlds. The school system in the United States, in Israel, in countries in Africa, in Europe, they're all based on the colonial model. We don't live in that time. And yet, everything has stayed the same. So how, if you're going to redesign graduates who can navigate complexity, Uncertainty, ambiguity. You need to create the conditions that allow humans to practice that. In our current structure, I have not seen a school yet that is currently allowing kids to practice that. They're still sitting in there. They still have to, to do the tests, the matriculation tests, etc. That does not develop good humans. Right? It develops rule followers. That was one of the goals for Design mm-hmm. School X. The other was. We live in a very, I've mentioned this, very segregated country. And we used Donna and Ariel Raz, uh, who actually brought me here. He's part of the K 12 lab. We used this saying uh, on our workshop in N'Gedi, which is, comes from Mark Anderson, who's a punk rock journalist <laughs> from the 1980s. Uh-huh. He said The real revolution is when you bring together people who might otherwise never come together to learn from each other. And if we're going to start to dismantle systems of oppression and segregation, we have to bring people together to learn from each other. You can have a great school in um, in East Jerusalem. But so long as East Jerusalem is segregated from other parts, they don't have access. So what everyone else does. You need to get people together. Same with with Oakland. You need to coax the rich white people out of the hills, right? Have the courage to learn side by side with somebody who might be threatening to them. They, the white people have all the power. How do you then coax disenfranchised, marginalized people of color in Oakland out right, to trust white people? And that's a huge design challenge. And that's what our design challenge was with DSX. How do you create a space, because every human wants to learn and every human wants to belong. We talked about this this morning, Donna. How do you create a context where everyone feels belonging, where they can learn from each other to feel purpose and self-efficacy? Because if I feel awesome, I'm going to want you to feel awesome. I'm going to want you to feel awesome. And our liberation... My liberation is predicated on your liberation. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that everyone around me has opportunities to be liberated so I can liberate myself.
1: What was the um, biggest um, like, you know, uh, <laughs> revelation moment for you, the success moment until now in this project? Did you feel it? I, I want to talk now optimism, not pessimism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was pass- I was pessimistic until now, from now on, mm-hmm. only optimism. Yeah.
2: Okay, so, I have to be honest that I've been working on the school five years and I still haven't been able to open this school. Um, part of why I can't open the school, um, I don't think um people are ready for it yet? i know that sounds so cliche to have a designer say oh people aren't ready for my great idea (laughs) and um uh again donna and i were talking on the way over that everyone has a has a, a deeply entrenched idea of what school looks like by design the hardest part of all of this work and building the school are people's mindsets. Parents, kids, municipality, and... Yeah, so
1: many stakeholders are like in this
2: pool. In this pool, and yeah. they all have one idea of what school looks like. And people are so terrified of their future for their children, for their jobs, that they are, they're afraid to go outside of that. So that's the negative part. The positive part is I have found that I don't need to open a school to have impact, to scale humanity. That I get to, um, if I keep thinking about what I do as an invitation to invite curiosity and creativity and every human's desire to be good, um, I believe that is a way to Create opportunities to create new humans. Because if I get to work with Donna, right, or Ariel, or Ben, Aerly, and, and Getty, and those teachers and those students, those are 50 new people who now get to feel how great it is to practice equity design. And they're gonna take that and they're gonna share it with their parents. Those teachers are going to experiment. They were designing prototypes with students. Right, they're going to practice those.
0: Yeah, I think we, we are really in time. It's like some medieval <laughs> weird time. Yeah. Where the job is to do a lot of hacking and prototyping and invitation, like David said. And if like DSX model comes to prototype itself in, I don't know, wherever you do in, in Oakland or in, and or, or wherever in the world like it touches people. And we had like the, the last week, we've been like doing a lot of workshops in Engedi and, and kids were shadowing teachers and then giving like doing empathy work and then working with the teachers to redesign a learning experience. And students were saying like, we really liked for the first time to know a teacher is a human being and I want more students to know and feel this. And it was like very, and teachers said similar things. Um, So I think like the students are, those students are now ambassadors of that feeling. and Creating
1: agents of changes like all around. I would like to take this maybe now to talk about this opportunity because we started to talk also about um, uh, Oakland and and Gedi. So a little bit, I think it's super interesting to hear from you, uh, the perspectives and observations of um, the differences between uh, designing in the U.S., your work in the U.S., Hmm. and Oakland in specific, and here in Israel. Um, I think it's something very unique for us to, to learn from when I
2: visited in Getty last March I saw the same violent apathy that students have there it's it was so scary to see how hurt they are by the learning culture of this particular school Um, and it's Reminded me of the United States. So there's similarities there. Um, I, interesting, Um, I feel, and maybe it's because I'm American and you guys like some Americans, (laughs) Um, but I feel that you, not, I feel the Israelis that I get to work with here trust me more um, than uh, people in Oakland, and I, I don't know why, um, maybe because I'm a foreigner, because I don't speak the language, because I look this way, um, I don't know. In, the, in Oakland, I look like the man. Hmm. I am older. Um, I might look hip because I have tattoos and I button my shirt up um, or I have a tooth gem or whatever it is, um, but I don't, I'm not to be trusted and that is very powerful that if it goes again, what we were talking about earlier, if, if people don't trust each other, not, they're not going to trust you to, to, to go with you on this journey of transformation and I feel, and I said it almost every day, how grateful I am t- to get to work here and to work in Engedi because the leadership there, the teachers and the students, there's something that they trust in me, and in Ariel, and in Donna, and Ganit, um, that makes this possible. Um, and so we were doing things this week. That I would never be able to do in the United States, and that gives me so much hope. And I cannot wait now to try because the whole week, right? Donna was an experiment yeah. right as a bias towards experimentation, and we didn't know if it was going to work, but we knew that we had no choice that it, uh, that we had to bring students and teachers together. Um, so I think that's that's the main difference is that we we have leadership here that are um, courageous to be creative and, um, and are willing to do something.
1: In terms of the, by the way, uh, taking a uh, step back to the design process, mm-hmm. uh, from that perspective, you feel that like the work in Israel is, but you're working like with people who are very design oriented and, and their mindset is like, you know, very towards design. Uh, Dana is, is like a designer, she, she's coming from this background um, and, and embraces that mindset as, like, you know, this is the way to do stuff. Uh, but also, working in the school with how people perceive design, hmm. I'd be happy to hear about like the differences. No, between, oh, like a, the okay, sta- I mean, okay, okay, oh,
2: yeah. So, and to, just for point of clarity, our work in Engedi, there's Four designers there. There's Donna, there's Orbanifla, there's Ariel Raz, and myself. We believe that everybody there is a designer, and so we create the opportunity for them to practice that. Um, it's, it's the same in the States. Um, a lot of people are very skeptical. So, this is so great. You can come in, Stanford, you can come in and do all this designing with us, and so what? Right? That's all, what do you call it, kumbaya fun <laughs> stuff, right? And, um, but I, and there will always be people who will be cynical. And that's because they're uncomfortable about what's possible or what, uh, how the process is making them feel. And we can't stay with them. We have to keep creating opportunities to excite people to see themselves as responsible designers. And by that, I mean... Not everyone is going to be a product designer, industrial designer, graphic designer, architect, experienced designer, but everybody has the opportunity to make choices intentionally, knowing that there's an impact, an outcome. That's all a designer is, right? Mm -hmm. You make choices, and it could be in some form, and there's an outcome to it.
0: You try things out.
2: You try things out. Hopefully you have a great aesthetic sense, right? Mm -hmm. So it invites people... Um, I, yes, people are always cynical about design. Um.
1: Also in the States? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah,
2: I think, and I'm, I'm like one in of the, them in, too. In the
1: area also that you're working in? Uh, because like in the Bay Area, it's like. Yeah, everybody's like talking about design and um, why it's important and all
2: that. Everybody loves. Um, it'd be great for your, um, what's that company that you wanted to start? All the buzzwords? Yeah. Yeah, design thinking <laughs> is a really huge buzzword. And they think it's the thing that's going to save their school and or their whatever. And then there's a design thinking workshop. And people, you know, they do a three-hour design thinking workshop. They don't see immediate change. And they're like, this, this shit doesn't work. <laughs> right and then they move on and because it takes years to develop it um, and again in the states too there it's design is a very white and privileged practice and it has very white language very male language very um, privileged language and that's a problem because if we want to invite more diversity into the practice um, we need to look at what we as designers are are again perpetuating in it, so a lot of folks see design and design thinking as very, very
1: white, which they might reject for that reason. I want to go to the pessimism optimism although I think we kind of cover it right:
0: I think this is your issue this is my issue and I, I mean I, I, we're, we're happy to help with that. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I would just I
1: no. It's not. It's <laughs> not like that. It's like um, so. The issue of pessimism, optimism. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pragmatic issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like you have all the reasons in the world. Okay. To stay passim. To be pessimistic. Okay.
0: Or optimistic. Uh.
1: No. I mean, like in in all the environment that we are living in, you have a lot of you know uh, reasons to say like, wow, this is just going to be worse.
0: It's if. If you cut your connection to the media,
1: not sure, okay,
0: it changes this paradigm. I mean, when you when you are fed by media, you have all the reasons in the world to be definitely, but it's just media. I mean, think of it as one of the things you eat. Like, stop eating carrots.
1: I want to hear like David's opinion about like this this kind of stuff because I think he's doing uh, a very radical work. Okay which um, it's very not like taking for granted okay especially in the uh, in the place that you're living in especially in the state of the world that we're living in okay and 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 the way to to turn it into reality is obviously to stay optimistic all of the time maybe to shut off the media okay around you but I think it's it's not good you know okay. you have to also realize yeah there is media it's I one understand. of the stakeholders the, okay the, the
0: question is what keeps you optimistic right?
1: we're gonna cut all of that and say like so David what keeps <laughs> you optimistic, what keeps you optimistic? <laughs> I
2: think uh, all that though was really cool to keep in because um, it, it it makes me think of uh, so my wife um, t- uh, has since retired from doing it, but taught yoga for thirty years. She would give free classes to um, people who had cancer or in recovery. and um, something I learned from her is that in order to heal from cancer, you have to accept the fact that you have cancer. And um, that is how I see um reality and optimism that I have to accept in myself that I have cancer, that um I have inherited and inhabited spaces that have taught me to hate myself, to hate other people, to have bad practices, etc. To to watch the media, <laughs> like whatever it is, I have a cancer. Or I have multiple kinds of cancer. In order for me to live a, joy, a life of joy and the life that I, and the person that I want to be for my daughters and for my wife and for the people that I get to interact with, I have to accept that I'm sick and that I have to do everything that I can to heal myself. And however that is, whether it's you know dressing in a particular way so I feel like a superhero, amidst all of the villains, right? And the villains don't have to be people. They can be ideas, right? But how do I, how do I breathe? How do I eat? Um, how do I deal with thoughts that come in that say I might not be good enough, right? Or um, you name it. Um, and so I literally have tattooed on my arm here love and optimism, which was a mantra that I... Um, designed for myself uh, maybe six, seven years ago as I was having difficulty working in a particular school in keeping an open mind to humans. Because we're a hard group to work with. (laughs) And so I was like, what the fuck do I need? And I need love of self and I need love of others. And so when I see somebody approaching me, that I might have difficulty with. I I, I take a deep breath in of love, right? For this person who's approaching me and all that comes with them. And a love of myself and my ability to be patient and kind. And then the exhale, right, of optimism, right? Knowing that this situation could quite possibly, work out really well right rather than oh fuck this person's coming towards (laughs) me and they're a dick and this is not going to go well i don't believe in them they're they make my life so hard how right and sure enough if i believe that it's going to turn out that way but if i flip it from a place of love and optimism more often than not it's going to look at the result is going to be very different
1: I don't think there is any uh, better way to finish <laughs> with the uh, inhale love and uh, exhale optimism. Um, I think for me it was really uh, super, super interesting. Dana knows you. <laughs> we, we just wanted to bring both of your voices uh, together, uh, which I think um, was a pretty good format. Uh might and grace of um, co-host from time to time, guy me, um, and thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts uh, and, and, and concepts and work uh, uh, that you're doing uh, in, in the U.S. And, and here in Israel. Donna, thank you very much for joining me and uh, making this uh, interview a little bit more intellectual, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and keep on the, the radical work
2: super, super interesting. And I'm just so delighted and honored to be here. I thank you for making the time
1: and your questions and curiosity. And you're going to have uh, amplified now your voice in To all of our millions of listeners <laughs> here in, uh, in, in... The Mediterranean. The Mediterranean, yeah.
2: The optimist in me says it only takes one listener to change it all. Yeah. By so, design. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that note, thank you very much. Uh, have thank a you. safe uh, trip back home. Thank you very much. And then next time, uh, we'll see you here again in Israel, in mm-hmm. Jerusalem, in Geddes, maybe in more areas. Yeah. All right. Dana, to so that.
0: Thank you. To <laughs> <So> that, <was laughs> Thank Toda. you
1: very much. Thank you.